What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. A major milestone for OneWeb. If all goes according to plan, the startup will launch its final 36 satellites to enable service globally this year. It's a move that would make it the first broadband satellite operator to complete a low Earth orbit constellation. Ahead of Launch 18, which is scheduled for Sunday with India's Space Agency, CEO Neil Masterson says this will solidify OneWeb's position as a leader in satellite communications, as a, quote, wholesaler of connectivity. We distinguish ourselves from Starlink from a competitive standpoint um, in that we are a B2B business. We're not a B2C business. So our primary customers are telephone companies, um, existing satellite providers. In fact, other um, uh, satellite companies, and I'll come to that in a second, um, as well as as well as governments. So our approach is to make sure that we integrate our, um, our network into others' networks to extend their network and help them serve their customers better. In this episode, I speak exclusively with Masterson about the business model, the impact of the Ukraine war, and when OneWeb will officially be acquired by Eutelsat. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. We're on the cusp of a major milestone for OneWeb. Uh, talk to me about this upcoming launch and, and why it is so significant for the company. Yeah, we are super excited. This is launch 18 for us. Uh, this weekend, we're launching with ISRO um, from India uh, this weekend. This launch is um, super important because this is the launch that it gives us enough satellite coverage to cover the entire to, to cover the entire globe, and so it will enable us to um, roll out coverage progressively around the world during the course of this year. So in May, we'll cover the lower forty-eight states. Then, we'll, in uh, in August, we'll get down to. Uh, about uh, 25, 25 degrees north of the equatorial belt. And then by the end of the year, we will have global coverage around the world, whether that's on land, uh, at sea or in the air. So we're, we're very excited. It's been a long road to get here. Uh, space is hard um, and we couldn't have done it on our own. There's been lots of collaboration, uh, but we're very excited. Space is hard and geopolitics is hard. The last time you and I spoke, um, Russia mm. had just invaded Ukraine. You were essentially having to abandon satellites in Russia and find new launch partners and, and striking deals with SpaceX and, and with India as well. I guess walk me through that part of uh, the past year too and, and what that's meant in terms of having to, I guess, recoup losses and pivot and try and, you know, make up for that lost time. Well, I think it's been a, a, a fantastic example of resilience from our team and also collaboration across the, across the industry. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, we got caught up in the in the geopolitical crisis involving the awful invasion of, of the Ukraine. And um, as you mentioned, we had uh, 36 satellites on the launch pad ready to go um, in Baikonur and Kazakhstan. And we uh, decided to suspend our launches um, with um, the launch provider. And we had to very quickly recruit. So we managed to manufacture the satellites within one month. 
um, and uh, and uh, to reach in order to replace them. And we very quickly um, dis- uh, found ways to find alternative launch partners. And you're absolutely right. Um, and I guess I got an advert for SpaceX behind me here. We managed to secure three launches with SpaceX very quickly, and and two with uh, the Indian Space Agency ISRO. And um, we have now launched 120 satellites uh, with, with with SpaceX, which we've executed in in very short order and flawlessly. And 36 have gone off with ISRO. We have another uh, 36 this weekend, which we're looking forward to complete. So you know, I'm going to ask, how has it been to work with SpaceX since? You guys are competitors and you're a customer. And I realize those are two different businesses, but we've talked about the rivalry before. So I would tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure dealing with SpaceX. They've been um, incredibly, they have a wonderful can-do, uh, get uh, get it done attitude. Um, and, you know, I think that, I mean, look, we operate and we collaborate with SpaceX and Starlink every day. Operationally, our, our folks are pretty close. Um, and, um, you know, space, when it comes to space, we're all in this together. And uh, I think there's been a great deal of uh, collaboration um, together. So I can't speak highly enough of them, actually. They've been a wonderful partner for us. When you say you collaborate with Starlink, what do you mean? Well, so we obviously operate, uh, we operate in a, one way of operates, we operate the second largest constellation of satellites on Earth. Uh, and there's only two LEOs in operation and Starlink runs the other one. And so when we launch, when we launch our satellites, um, we obviously have to fly through their constellations. So we spend um, time working with each other to make sure that, that operate, we operate together and that works smoothly. So there's lots of cooperation and collaboration that takes place. So let's talk a little bit about, and you and I have had com- multiple conversations now yeah. about your business model, but let's revisit that again. And I guess if, to the extent you can disclose them, some of the numbers or some of the statistics in terms of, um, you know, your customer list and uh, as you roll out service, how, how quickly you are bringing on more business. Yeah, sure. So um, again, I'm being very encouraged by the progress that the team has made. So um, we we distinguish ourselves from Starlink from a competitive standpoint um, in that we are a B2B business. We're not a B2C business. So our primary customers are telephone companies, um, existing satellite providers, in fact, other um, uh, satellite companies, and I'll come to that in a second, um, as well as as well as governments. So our approach is to make sure that we integrate our um, our network into others' networks to extend their network and help them serve their customers better. And um, it's a different it's a different model from Starlink's. Um, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just a different one. That's the path that we've chosen to 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 pursue. And so we issued our first in. So we are now operating in 15 countries. Um, we um, today our service is still um, sort of the U.S. Canadian border to the North Pole. Um, UK, South Coast and North Pole and so on and so forth. And that's why the expansion is really exciting for us because it enables us to enter new markets. Uh, we issued our first um, invoice last May. So this company had been around for like 10 years. Last May, we issued our first invoice and we now have $900 million in, con- in contracted revenue backlog. Um, um, and, uh, we're, and that's been very big. It's been very significant progress um, over, the, over the last few months. So we're very excited by that. And I think importantly, it's a very important point. We now sell our capacity to three 
uh, of the geo satellite companies, the established industry, um, and who are incorporating our service into their service to better serve their customers. And we have a number of other discussions taking place with other satellite companies, as well as there's been some recent announcements with telephone companies, and you'll see more um, in the in the coming weeks and months. That's fascinating. So what does that mean in terms of the quality of connectivity for businesses or, or enterprise customers or even consumers at, at the end of the day when you start to see all of these different layers of accessibility and connectivity come together? Well, it should be, first of all, it should be better. I mean, our, our approach is very much to um, where there is no other source of connectivity, we can be the primary source of connectivity. And where there is other uh, sources of connectivity, we can be we can essentially be a backup. And our approach is uh, again somewhat distinguished from um, from other other participants in the marketplace, because we actually commit to um, committed information rates. Most uh, internet services we know at home is a is a best efforts is a best effort service. So you can see fluctuations in the in the in the capacity in the signal. Ours is is consistent. We set um, service level agreements by that we we pay penalties if we don't if we don't adhere to those if we don't adhere to those metrics so it's very much intended to be a, a you know a professional stroke industrial solution to help extend networks um for for our for our customers are you contracting with governments too uh yes we are uh we have a um I won't go into too many details, but we we do contract with governments, and we see governments as a um, as a big opportunity for this business down the road. How are you thinking about security? Whether it is in terms of the government contracting or in terms of all of that data that I would imagine is going to be accessible through your through your network. Well, the data is not accessible through our network because the the, the network is encrypted um, um, end to end. Um, and so it's it's very difficult to um, to break that to, to get into that. And in addition to that, our customers, if they if they choose to, over and above the encryption levels we have, they can put their own encryption over the top of that. So the, we don't we don't see the information that goes over our network. We know there's information going over, it, but we are not we are not able to see it, and nor do we choose to. That's that's the, our customers' data is their data. So one of the conversations I keep having over and over again with different guests on Manifest Space is the fact that we are on the cusp of this major satellite boom, uh, that there could be based on just the applications that are out there right now, up to 100,000 satellites that could end up in low Earth orbit and and different orbits uh, around the Earth in the coming years. Now, I realize that number is probably very lofty, (laughs) Um, but I I wonder how you think about that in this competitive landscape where capital is becoming more constricted. Yeah, so I think that, um, so let me address the number of satellites first of all, and I I can only speak to to one of his intentions. So we expect our constellation to top out at around 640 satellites. Um, We'll get to about 620 over the weekend. We may launch some, we will launch some spares. That's where we will top out. Our next generation of satellites, which we're planning, we expect to actually launch fewer but more powerful satellites. So, you know, maybe 360 is where we'll be, and then we can increase it depending upon customer on customer demand. So our approach is because we fly higher um, than some of our competitors is actually to have fewer but more powerful satellites uh, rather than having uh, rather than having too many. Um, I think you're absolutely right. It's the building Leo constellations, as I as I have discovered, is is very difficult. And you, generally speaking, in addition to in you know some significant capital funding, you need 
broadly speaking, five ingredients. You've got to have spectrum, which is the frequencies. You need access to rockets. You need access to satellites. You need to be able to build the satellites. And importantly, the ground network and ground equipment, which is often overlooked, is an incredible, very important part. And then there's the people. And so, and there aren't that many people in the world who actually know how to do this. And um, so I think that means it's, uh, it's going to be quite difficult for others to, um, to get into the space. That said, there are some very well-funded um, competitors out there or potential competitors out there. Um, obviously, Kuiper, Amazon Kuiper is one of them. But it will take time um, for these uh, constellations to reach fruition. Um, it is difficult to, to launch these um, constellations for the, reasons, for the reasons I've mentioned. What does all this mean for manufacturing? Because I know you, you, OneWeb really kind of pioneered this ability to manufacture more quickly, lower cost, uh, high production rate. I think about your operations out in Florida, for example. Um, yeah. How, how is that cadence shifting and evolving now? So we were producing, um, it's very interesting. We, so we restarted the company during COVID and we immediately got the supply lines back going. And we can produce up to four satellites a day. We produce two a day. Um, in fact, our production run is, is essentially come to an end at this point. Um, um, I think that with modern technology, it's going to be possible to produce satellites faster um, and more cheaply as we go forward. But there are not many people who actually know, who've got the wherewithal to know how to do it, if you see what I mean. It's still a, it's still a very complex, um, a complex pro, pro, um, process. And it's also very important to thoroughly test those satellites on the ground uh, before launching them. Because once they're in space, it's, you know, it's quite difficult to, um, uh, you can do lots of software updates and that kind of stuff, but mechanically you need to make sure the hardware is extremely robust before you put it in space. So again, I think what you'll see is that you know there are there'll be a number of um, there'll be a, a relatively small number of satellite manufacturers around the world who will be able to do this at scale, and scale becomes incredibly important in any technology business. You mentioned the backlog before. As you get this final um, mission off the ground launched, and you begin to roll out service to more parts of the world uh, in a more in a larger way, when do you start making money? Yeah, so the prime, our prime goal, I mean, you know, in many ways, we're quite a simple business. I mean, we sell connectivity. That's what we do. We're a wholesaler of connectivity. And it just happens that our connectivity is delivered from space. And the reason for that is actually it's much cheaper to do that when you, you're trying to provide connectivity into regions where there's no, where there's no fiber or where you want to provide an independent backup to fiber. And, and so our, my expectation is, uh, I mean, that is, that is our, our model going forward. There are other models we could we could do. I mean, we can again. We fly a very large fleet of satellites from you know a room sort of you know 100 feet behind me. There are only if there's very few places in the world that that can do that. So we can fly other people's satellites for them if that's what they desire. We also have an extensive ground network around the world which we can leverage for other reasons. But the core business is all about connectivity, providing connectivity solutions for for, for um, business customers, for them to serve their customers better. That's, that's the, really the core of our business. You're merging with Utilsat. I guess an update on that uh, deal closing and what that's going to mean in terms of, uh, I guess, synergies and your ability to, to have more heft in this emerging market. Yeah, so, so I would say, so, that, so let me deal with the deal timeline and we'll come to the synergy. So we expect the, we're sort of in the last lap now and I have to be cautious here because we're in the hands of regulators. Um, and uh, our expectation is that we will 
um, close the deal at some point over the summer. I would say that I've been pleasantly surprised by the, this is a heavy regulated, heavily regulated business. I've been pleasantly surprised by the pace of which we've gone through the regulatory hurdles. And I think we have regulatory approval in over 40 countries at this point. Um, there's one or two more to go. And, um, and we feel um, confident in, in, getting, in, getting through, in, in getting through that. The, when we announced the merger, the industrial logic was very much about really, first of all, so three elements. First of all, um, you know, customers have told us actually they want Leo Geo services blended together. Um, and also that, um, you know, this is becoming a scale industry um, very, very quickly, very quickly indeed. And we needed to scale up. And for us, it was all about accelerating the pace and uh, of, of OneWeb, OneWeb's growth. And actually, um, all three of those have, have proven, have, you know, are proving to be correct assumptions. So first and foremost, the fact that three Leo Geo, three, uh, Geo operators have actually bought capacity from us and are including us in their propositions to, to customers, I think proves the point. And there's, there's more, there's certainly more, more, more to come on that. Again, Utilsat has um, is a very experienced um, organisation, and we are working together already on um, developing the next generation of technology and blending the, the, those networks together, which would be very, very important. So not just commercially, but at a technical level. And again, that scale point is 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 is, is, prov is, prov is proving out. So. We, we're very excited by the prospect of bringing these companies together, and also commercially, the, the it's going to be um, rather than me having. To, I mean, Uselsat has a sales organisation of two of around two hundred people. I have fifty. Uh, they operate in many countries around the world, and as we expand globally, it's going to be. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to leverage their their infrastructure, their network, their sales force um, much more actively um, to, to 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 accelerate our growth. We've seen a wave of M&A coming to the satellite industry in general over the past year plus. I just wonder what you think over the coming months, over the coming years, uh, what this industry is going to look like and how it's going to evolve. I think actually I was at the Mobile World Congress, which is the big telecoms congress in uh, Barcelona, I think three weeks ago. And I think what was interesting um, was that First of all, we had a lot of interest from uh, from telephone companies from around the world who are very keen to, to talk to us and to do business with us, uh, which we're obviously very happy about. But I think more importantly, more thematically, that satcoms and telecoms is really merging. Um, it's becoming it's just another connectivity tool um, for uh, for telecoms businesses. So I think I think you're seeing that. I think that the, um, the as I mentioned before, this is becoming a scale a scale industry. Hitherto, satellite had been somewhat subscale. This is becoming a scale industry. So I think what you will see um, is A, um, the satellite industry becoming far more integrated with telecoms as a whole, and B, um, larger, fewer and larger players in the industry as they scale up and, and require um, you know, capital resources to, to roll out uh, larger constellations and integrate correctly with um, telecoms providers for the benefit of their customers. Neil, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining me today ahead of this milestone launch. Thank you very much. Thank Neil you for Masterson having me. Of OneWeb. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Morgan Brennan. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. 
Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.